Lord, fill this place with your presence. Oh, we have had, I don't know what to say. Today we're talking about God making a way. We have actually some handouts. I'm going to be trying. We'll see how it goes. We're going to have handouts kind of going into the future. So if you would like a handout, if you don't have a handout, we're going to pass them around and you can grab one. Hopefully there's enough for everybody. And today the talk is about God making a way. And we've been, I want to continue the God uh, direction series, um, how he directs us. And uh, at the end, we're going to just, we're not going to do ministry time today unless we get a shock from the spirit or something. But um, the human plan is for us to move from the message straight into the family meeting. But I will let you know when that happens. And uh, so you can be aware of that. And uh, like Wilma said, we, it, we call it a family meeting because it's just not part of our service, but it doesn't mean that you have to have a certain stamp or something to come. Um, everybody's welcome. And yes, uh, yeah, okay. And you can also, when you come in, you, there's gonna be, the handouts will be in the back table. Uh, so you can always grab them when you come in as well as we go forward with that. Um, you may also see something flash on the screen when the kids are in the back. We like the parents to go to the back to actually pick up the kids rather than just letting them run into the room. So there'll be a little sign on the screen. Try not to get too distracted by that, but I won't know when it happens other than maybe I'll see some of you get up. Uh, but that's, that'll just happen on its own. Okay. So um, today's talk, I don't have enough time in the family meeting to say everything that I want to say. So I am going to co-opt the message a little to also kind of set us up for the meeting afterwards. So if you notice that, it is on purpose, and I'm warning you a little bit uh, about that um, so you don't feel like I'm trying to subtly do something to you. There is, like, I'm going to tell a few stories about the church in the message that I'll just hopefully give some context for the meeting so, the, so we can actually get through the meeting and say everything and hopefully give the background for what we feel God's doing. Okay. Um, so we're, again, we're in God's Direction uh, series, and we first start talking about redirection and how God will sometimes, uh, well, he, we don't always hear him clearly, so it can feel like redirection when God says something, and that's just because we didn't hear him clearly before. But also, even when we hear him clearly, he redirects us. Uh, he gives us a new uh, direction sometimes. Then we talked about God's call to suffering, and uh, that was a, a difficult message, but um, sometimes he actually calls us to do things that are difficult and things that are going to cause us uh, suffering in order to, you know, prepare us, to prepare other people, uh, and we can do that as a way of loving God. Then we took a break and we took, talked about extravagance, because uh, I think we needed to talk about extravagance after talking about suffering. And then we talked about um, how God directs us in disaster because the coronavirus is here, and I don't know about you, but we have toilet paper. I hope you do too. And uh, <laughs> Natasha's mother is actually out of toilet paper and she can't get more it's like it's not in this she's like i actually really need it like like natasha she was talking it's like i really need it like i need toilet paper and luckily i hear that we still have toilet paper in our stores so they might have a waiver saying do you actually need the toilet paper when you go to buy it i don't know <laughs> uh, so anyway god's time and how he directs us in disaster we talked about looking to him but today i want to talk about when you get a word and this is kind of the, the purpose of the series was like, when you get a word, what do you do with it? And sometimes he gives us a word and there's a delay. 
And when we're not happy, we call it a delay. Um, when we're happy, uh, we actually call it a prophetic word about the future. Like, we always want to know about the future, right? Like, there's two feelings about this. Like, God, why do you always tell me things that are how I already know? You know, like, I love to hear how you love me, and I want to hear your word about what's happening in my life right now. But tell me about the future. Tell me what's going to happen later. And then when he tells us about the future, we say, God, why? Why are you delaying? Like, why are you taking your time with this word, right? So we pray, we pray for God to give us a word about the future. And then when he does, it creates frustration, right? Where it's like, oh. Why is he taking his time? And he's like, I just told you about the future. I'm not taking my time. I'm not asking you to be patient. I just told you about something that's going to happen in 10 years. Isn't that what you wanted? And it's like, kind of, right? It's like, I wanted to hear what's happening in 10 years, but it sounds so good. Can I have it now? Can I have it now? And he's like, ugh. I don't know what he actually feels about that. Probably very patient and good. I think I would probably be frustrated if, that was, if I was in his position, but it can create problems for us, and it creates problems for people in the Bible. It's, we're not the first ones to have problems with hearing about the future. People hear about the future, and it causes problems, so you have to be careful when you actually get a prophetic word about the future, because it creates a lot of turmoil, and when we were talking about God's managing disasters, we actually talked about how God keeps secrets, and one of the reasons why I said he keeps secrets is to help us emotionally, because when he actually tells us about the future, it causes emotional disturbance in us. Um, it can, anyway. And it did for people in the Bible. So there's two primary people I'm gonna kind of be referencing, and that's J David and Joseph. And David and Joseph had like ex words about the future, quite far into the future, and they were good words about the future. And it caused them problems to get the word. Um, so Joseph got a word about being a ruler in Egypt, and he got it 14 years before it happened, which doesn't sound like a long time. Well, it actually sounds like a very long time to me, but if you're living through that time, it actually can be a very long time. It can feel like a long time. Psalm 105 says, starting in uh, verse 17, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. So God wanted to prove Joseph true, but he had to go through lots of bruising before it actually was proved true. And I'm gonna to touch on this later, I think, but one of the interesting things is that the word itself actually caused him even more trouble and even started all the trouble for him. When he got the word, his brothers found out about the word, and the word actually, the word about him being a ruler actually created jealousy that, that started the problems for him. So the prophetic word not only caused him emotional problems, but it caused him real-world problems. And some people blame Joseph for that. I actually have a little bit more compassion for Joseph. I think, I think that that was actually a setup. I think that there was a plan in place for Joseph in order to prepare him. in order to prepare him for what God had called him to do. The second example is David. 1 Samuel 16, so oh, before I get into the scripture, uh, it was 13 years, very similar. I thought that was interesting too, 14 years, 13 years. 13 years between the time when he was anointed as king and when he actually became a king. These are, these are hidden years, and so many people have them, have these hidden years, but we don't know about them. We don't hear about them because we only hear about people when they become something that's visible, when they become bigger, right? So you don't see the hidden years. You don't see those times. Like, 
I don't know where I'm going to be in 14 years or 40 years or whatever, but there was a time when we had a church service and nobody came. We hadn't actually started Maplecrest yet. That didn't happen in Maplecrest. But in Spirit Room, we had a service and nobody came. And there was great things about that and there was not so great things about that. The not so great part was it was a little awkward just preaching to my family because they said I still needed to. So there you go. The wonderful thing was nobody was there to see it. (laughs) Nobody sees those times. People aren't there. People aren't there. You don't have your ministry yet in that way. Before people, at least, you don't have your ministry. You have your ministry, but you don't have it before people yet. So then people don't know about it. People don't see that part. And this is where we get the myth of the overnight success. If you actually talk to people who have, in quotations, overnight successes, to a Almost every person gets frustrated unless it's working for them, like unless they're like trying to hype up the overnight success and they're like selling books on the fact that they're an overnight success, then they'll go with it. But most people actually get annoyed by that because they're like, don't you see the 20 years of work that I did before I was an overnight success? I guess you weren't there because nobody was. Nobody was there. Nobody saw that part. Moses spent 40 years in the desert before he became a leader. Lots of preparation. Joshua spent 40 years in the desert under Moses before he became a leader. David's promise from his brothers actually caused him problems as well. He was anointed in front of his brothers, very similar to Joseph. We don't blame him so much because it seems like God did it to him. I think he did it to Joseph too. It's just a bit of a pattern. He did it right in front of his brothers and it caused David problems in his family. Sometimes he gives a word for right now, and sometimes he gives a word for later. Sometimes he keeps a secret, and sometimes he doesn't. One of the big problems with the delay, there's three big problems. One is uncertainty. Like it makes you doubt the word. You lose faith because it's been 10 years, and it's supposed to be 14. And you're like, did did I hear correctly? Another one is planning. Am I supposed to do something to make this word happen? And I believe the answer is complicated to that. I think it's yes and no. And then there's patience, where it's just like, Lord, I'm in this place. You say I'm something else. You say I'm supposed to do something else. Let me step into what you have for me. And just waiting can cause turmoil. Okay, so this is where I co-opt the sermon and talk about us a little bit. Maplecrest has given, God has given Maplecrest promises. God has given words to Maplecrest. God has spoken to us and directed us in the past. I'm gonna tell some of those stories. One of the first ones was actually before Maplecrest started. Well, the first ones were before Maplecrest started. And this one was actually about the spirit room, but I believe it also applies to Maplecrest. And I was, it was probably the most, oh, if I had to be honest, I think it's probably the most powerful spiritual experience I've ever had. I woke up in the middle of the night and I had a presence on me, a heavy presence. And I was speaking, some people have said I was speaking in tongues at the time, but just English. Did you know English can be a tongue? Anyway, yes, I guess it is. So I was speaking English, you know, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and I was getting the mandate for the spirit room. And I could stop it if I wanted to. God was a gentleman. He didn't force me. But if I allowed him to, it didn't feel like I was talking. It felt very much like he was talking with my voice, which was very interesting. And he said that the mandate of the spirit room was to open the doors of people's hearts and open the doors of people's minds. So we're supposed to open up people's understanding and we're supposed to open up people's spiritual realities. 
And I had that for the spirit room, but then the spirit room, and I believe that message is for Maplecrest because spirit room and Maplecrest are joined. We had a prophecy where there was two buildings, two buildings being built side by side. We had this, I think it was actually on our first service day, and there were two buildings being built side by side, spirit room and Maplecrest. What is the spirit room? That's a good question. The spirit room is um, a ministry that I had before I started the church, and it wasn't under the same donation status, so it's actually separate in terms of the government. In, this, in the spirit, I think they're joined. And the spirit room is, was and is a ministry that we have that is kind of more for people outside the church. It's not a church itself, and it gives prophecies. People come and make appointments. They have prophetic words. People can make appointments and get healing. Um, and so it was designed and uh, created in order to be an outreach, in order to open people's hearts to the spirit. And we still run them. Actually, we're going to have one in three weeks, and it will be before the service. We'll have a place where people can go, and they can make appointments online, and then they can come to their appointment here before the service. So that's the spirit room. It continues to exist side by side with the church, but it pre-existed the church. Natasha had a dream. She was given a dream two years before this, our first service, where she... And I interpreted the dream when we had no idea we were starting a church that we would be given a church. An angel came and gave us a church. And after we had our first service, we were looking up the dream for some reason. I'm sure there's something Natasha would remember about that. But uh, we were looking up the dream and we saw that the actual dream happened two years to the day of our first service. God gave us our church, our first service, on the second anniversary of that dream. When we were told, uh, when we, Natasha and I felt the whisper that we were supposed to start a church, and we actually announced it to the, our leaders at the time, I prayed before uh, we had a prayer meeting that night, uh, uh, which was very close to when we had, again, told our, I think we told the leaders of our church at that time the day before we had a prayer meeting. And before the prayer meeting, I was like, oh my goodness, God, you haven't given me anything concrete, just whispers that we're supposed to start a church. Could you? I fell on my knees and I said, Lord, this is a church. We need something that's... I don't know, that we can hold on to, an experience. Please give us something that we can have confidence in that this is actually a church from you. And that night, without any prompting or hints, everybody started calling me a pastor. And I didn't get any prophetic words in that meeting before then, really, not that I can remember anyway. And they were people, Natasha had to stay upstairs, people were leaving the meeting and everybody was saying, good night, pastor. And she's like, did you tell them? And I said, no. I'm glad she didn't say anything. She might have just said, hey, you're not supposed to tell them. And they've been like, tell them about what? But no, she was very, very careful, which is good. I have a careful wife, which is nice. And on our first day, Keith was there to, to start us off, and that'll become meaningful later. Keith is a spiritual father of this house. And it was the Jewish New Year. And we love the Jews. Amen. Waiting isn't just waiting. So we've been giving our, promise, our promises, but waiting isn't just about waiting. We're not supposed to actually be waiting. I remember I was uh, in pre-service prayer last time, and I said something that was odd to me. Sometimes I say things I need to figure out later. And I said uh, to Margaret, I, or Margie, I said, um, I, I'm not impatient with when God's going to do something, but I get impatient when there's, I don't know exactly how I put it, but I get impatient when there's no development. Get impatient when there's no development. Maybe God's going to... And, and I didn't really understand that. Like I, 
I said it probably wrong, and I probably need to work on myself because I should probably be patient with both, so I'm not saying I'm right to be impatient, but I noticed that there was a reality where I do get impatient with a lack of development. And what I meant I, in that moment, what was in my heart was, I'm okay with waiting for God's suddenly. I'm okay with waiting for God's promotion, for God's opening the door, the opportunity. Probably not really okay, but in that moment I was okay with that. But that's not the only thing that's supposed to happen when you're waiting. When you're waiting, you're not in a waiting room, sitting down doing nothing. When you're waiting for God to, prepare, to give you that opening, that opportunity, you're actually supposed to be developing yourself. You're supposed to be following him so that when he opens that door, he can open that door. So that's why I said, are you supposed to make it happen? And it's like, the answer is yes, and the answer is no. You can't make it happen. You can't make that opportunity come. That's God who's going to give that, you that opportunity. He's the one who opens the door. But are you supposed to make it happen? Yes, you have to develop yourself. And you do that not by figuring it out, but by following the Spirit in the meantime. Oh, Spirit, I'm not quite on the ministry team yet, so I don't have to listen to you yet. That makes no sense. You have to be waiting on God in the sense that you're watching him and, and moving after him and waiting and developing yourself in him in order to make sure that you're ready. When David was in his years, over a decade of waiting to become king of Israel, he was running and he was developing himself. He was developing himself as a warrior. He was developing himself as a leader of a small band and larger and larger band of families who were following him. In 1 Samuel 22, it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. It's a great group. <laughs> everyone who's in distress, everyone who's in debt, and everyone who was bitter. Waiting on God. In Romans 5, it says, in, uh, starting halfway through verse 3, I'll start at verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. As we wait, as we endure, as we wait on God, we endure the waiting, the suffering, the whatever it is that's happening, it's producing something in us if we take the right stance. It's producing character. It's producing something that God can build on. I'm okay waiting in the cave, but I don't want to wait in the cave and do nothing. I want to be becoming a giant killer. And that was the prophetic word that was spoken over Maplecrest as well, that we were in the cave, that we were in a place of hiddenness and preparation. And that doesn't mean we're not supposed to be doing anything. It meant that we were supposed to be preparing ourselves. I believe it was about a year ago that we got that, maybe a little more. So how do you know when you're done waiting? And this is the real point of today's message. How do you know when you're done waiting on God? How do you know that it's actually time to do something? You come out of the spirit room appointment, you got your prophetic word, it, you think you're getting it interpreted, you're approaching it humbly, you're open to redirection, you know that it might lead to suffering. You're not sure 
When, though, you're actually supposed to act on it? When are you supposed to move? How do you know when? How do you know you're done waiting? Well, there are many ways, unfortunately. Fortunately and unfortunately, God seems to do this in different ways for everybody. Sometimes he tells you. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew. I mean, we don't know exactly what happened to Jesus, but he knew ahead of time. He just knew it was coming. Sometimes he'll just tell you, tomorrow's the day, get ready. You know, the alarm clock goes off in your spiritual head and and you're like, oh, it's coming, it's tomorrow. Paul seemed to know when he was going to die. He was like, I've run the race. I have been given the crown. He knew he was done. He was just kind of waiting for the grand finale. Sometimes God will just tell you. But the point I wanted to say here was sometimes he doesn't. He might let you know ahead of time, but sometimes it doesn't seem that he does. Sometimes it's just an opportunity. He just changes your circumstance. All of a sudden, you can do what you were told you can do. And there's no beeping in your head or feeling in your spirit. It's just like, well, I guess this is it, because all of a sudden, the river, like, the river opened up and I can cross. The actual circumstance itself is God's voice, practical voice to you in that moment. This is what happened to Joseph. He was sitting in prison, doing his thing, developing himself. He was prophesying for other prisoners. And as he did that, well, he was actually interpreting dreams. I could maybe call that a type of prophecy. He was called before the king in Genesis 41.12. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dreams. This is one of the prisoners who said, hey, there's this guy in the prison, and he interpreted our dreams. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. So these were two inmates who were brought before the king. One was killed and one wasn't, and Joseph got it right. He's like, hey, this guy's pretty accurate, king. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. When was he brought out of the pit? When he was brought out of the pit. That's when. It just happened. The circumstances changed for him. I don't know if Joseph had a, a warning in his own dream saying it's about to change. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But I don't think it was necessary. I think, he was, I think it was pretty clear when he was brought out of the pit that he was being brought out of the pit. Sometimes the primary way that we know that it's time is that you will have a path. The spiritual, we, could, we disconnect. We are always disconnecting the spiritual and the practical. We always think, oh, this is a spiritual thing and this is a practical thing. Let me tell you, God did everything. God does the practical. He made the earth. That's, that to me means that the earth is a spiritual creation. It's a spiritual entity because it was made by a spiritual being. There wasn't another being that was called physical that made the earth and God does everything that you can't see. He did everything. He did everything. That's a Greek way of thinking. Not to say that it's Greeks are bad, but... I think Greeks get a bad rap, eh? In churches, every time there's a bad thing, it's called Greek. <laughs> Those poor Greeks, they were trying. It's all God. It's all God. And he is not afraid of the practical. He's not afraid to speak through circumstance because he creates circumstance. He's not intimidated by it. 
God didn't have to tell Joseph, here's your chance. I'm fulfilling your dream that you had when you were young. It just happened. The path itself is a spiritual message. So, today's message is that sometimes God delays. We like this. We don't like it. We like it because we want to know about the future. We don't like it because we found out about the future and that's causing us emotional turmoil. And as we wait, it creates turmoil inside of us. It creates turmoil for different reasons. And as we wait, we're not called just to sit here in turmoil. We're called to prepare ourselves spiritually by following him. Looking to him, having faith in his promises to us, being open to correction, but having faith that he spoke. And how do you know you're done waiting? Well, he might tell you, but he might also just do it. And that's a spiritual message to each of us when he just makes a way, when he gives you an opportunity. Let's stand together. So this is the end of part one of today. This is the end of the message part, and we're going to pray. And then we're going to move into part two, which is the family meeting. Lord, you have been so good to us and so good to this church. You've given us prophetic words and you have fulfilled those prophetic words right when you wanted to, like Natasha's dream. You just made it clear, Lord, that even though we're just living our lives and doing all our things, that you knew the day that the church would start on. Our lives sometimes look so random, and yet you are the king of everything. You are the king of everything. I don't know whether you worked through us to make that ch our church start on that day, or if you were just like, Cyrus, stop getting in the way and just made it happen. But you are in control, and you know and you can orchestrate all the practical pieces, and you can put them together. And I pray, Lord, that as we walk as a church, that you would continue, as you have, to orchestrate each step practically and spiritually, that you would help us to walk in sync with you, whether we understand or whether we don't understand. I pray that you would make us obedient to your word. Amen. Amen. Okay, have a seat. So this is the time. If you're like, I'm not up for a family meeting, no shame. It's not for everybody. Feel free to do what you need to do. We are going to talk about an announcement for the church. And... Um, and that's exciting. Now, I'm going to delay a little longer in actually giving you the announcement. I know that's what you wanted to hear. Uh, sorry. I'm such a tease. Um, I'm going to set it up a little bit more. Uh, so I'm going, to st I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story that started in, I think, October, November. Sorry, my memory for dates isn't great. Um, even though he, God seems to talk to me through dates, I still don't remember. Um, Okay, so it was, I believe, in November. When did we go to IHOP? Was that in November or was that in October? Margaret, you probably know. November? Okay, so it was in November. We went to IHOP. We drove down to Kansas City, and I went to the prof... Sorry? International House of Prayer. We're not talking about pancakes. Uh, sorry. Uh, if you try to go to the IHOP here in Winnipeg, you won't get a prophetic word, uh, probably. 
But uh, yes, we went to the International House of Prayer. They do prayer 24 hours a day. They have prophecy rooms, healing rooms, etc. We went down there as a leadership of the church and had a good time. But uh, in that time, and in that time, we, I got a prophetic word in the prophecy room. And um, the prophecy was basically them reading out Joseph's call to take over Israel. Joseph, no, not Joseph, Joshua's call to take over uh, and, and move in and, and take the land in Israel. And it was kind of like every step you take is going to take the land. And it was this really long and intense thing. And it was just speaking to me. Like I just felt like God was on it. And it made me excited. But whenever God speaks clearly, I have learned to get a little quiver. I don't know if I learned, but I have begun to get a little quiver because the clearer he speaks, I just know it's not necessarily going to be straightforward, right? It's like, oh, why are you having to be so clear with me? Why do you have to make it so clear? What's going to happen? You know, so I do get a little quiver. God is good and I trust him, but I also know that he works with me. And so I felt like, oh, he's going to work with me. He's going to work on something. So I got this prophecy. I'm Joshua. I'm going into the land. Don't be discouraged, which makes me feel something discouraging is coming. But anyway, then... I think it was actually before that, uh, I had a dream that I was pregnant. And I've talked about the dream here. I was pregnant in the dream, and, which was awkward. It wasn't that awkward in the dream, though. It seemed completely normal for a man to be pregnant. And I had the baby in the dream, and that was totally not awkward either. There was no pain, which made me encouraged. Like, oh, good, we're going to have a baby and no pain. Unfortunately, that part wasn't totally accurate. But uh, God wasn't talking to me about the pain yet. He was just saying, I'm birthing something new through you, and you're going to have a baby. So, boom, I had a baby. And I, was, I felt like that was a very important dream for us as a church. And even over Christmas, I continued to talk about the baby, and I think it was maybe our Christmas service, probably, because I talked about Herod, and I usually talk about Herod on Christmas. I don't know why. But I talked about Herod and him stealing the baby, and we needed to protect the baby. So we were praying over the baby that God had given to Maplecrest, even though at that time I had no idea what the baby meant. Maybe I did a little bit, I'm not sure. Around Christmas time, I uh, saw a, um, sometimes I look at real estate, I don't know if you guys look at real estate, sometimes I look at real estate, I'm a business person, I just like to look at real estate. So I was looking at real estate, and I think we had had a few things that actually spurred me to look for real estate from, uh, for the church. Um, just circumstances with the hotel, which all worked out, but uh, I was kind of just spurred to look for real estate for the church. And I came across this property. This property was on Windermere and Pembina, on Pembina, but where Windermere crosses, which is just a few blocks um, north of where we are right now on Pembina. On the east side, there's a house, which is uh, kind of this funky hairdressing house called Bourne over the top. So there's a house called Bourne on Windermere. And I looked at this house and I looked at the price and I was like, oh my goodness, this may be doable. And it says Bourne on it. I'm supposed to have a baby. So I ran downstairs, a little bit dignified, and I ran downstairs and I showed Natasha and I was like, oh my goodness, look, there's a house. And it's called Bourne. And she's like, Bourne? And then she was like, oh, the dream. And she remembered the dream. And, and I gave it to her and I ran back up to the bathroom. And uh, so we started to investigate Bourne, and we got um, a real estate agent, and we uh, started to look at it, and we have a facilitators group. The facilitators are people who have signed up to meet with us monthly during the year and talk about where the church is going and to help advise us and discern with us and um, facilitate the church. 
And so we brought it to the facilitators. And I get pretty excited about dreams, and I hate bringing people into that, because sometimes it doesn't work out, and that could be painful for me, but it then also devastating for everybody else. So I didn't tell the church because I knew that I get excited about things. So I, but I had drawings, like I had cut out paper, I knew how many seats I could put in this building, I had it all figured out, I even bought an a, uh, architect sketch uh, program, and I was, because we're doing some, we're gonna do some renovations for the office anyway, so I justified it, and I said, hey, we need a drawing program, and so I drew it out, and I was learning, and uh, talking to a real estate agent, we presented it to everybody, everybody was, you know, excited about potentially being able to have their own building, because we were gonna buy it. And then uh, we had, after that, we, um, that facilitators meeting, we had some time and I was able to investigate the building further. And unfortunately, to, it fell through because it was, um, I learned a lot more about building codes, I learned a lot more about um, zoning. So it was zoned properly, but for the purposes, the purpose that we had, which is a church, there needed to be a stronger foundation. Everything needed to be re-drywalled. We needed three bathrooms on the main floor, which would basically take up the entire space. So we would need to do an addition for the sanctuary. We would also need to do an addition for the exit. Anyway, it just turned into this big thing. And it was like, hmm, it's a little overwhelming um, and expensive and overwhelming. So I put it to the side and I was like, okay, God, this is going into continuing to pray category. I need another word, more than born, to go through all of that. And, but I continued to look because we'd had that facilitators meeting and I realized, only in retrospect, I, you know, sometimes God makes it clear what he's doing in you only as you look back, but even though the born building kind of died and ended up dying, something was left behind. And what was left behind was this odd picture I had in my head of what was going on in the Bourne building. And in that Bourne building, there was this worship experience. At the time, I called it a party, but I've, I don't think it's a party. I don't think, I mean, I think we can party. I like parties, kind of. Like, I, I can like a spiritual party. Um, but what I realized, what, what was left behind, if I was going to put it into, like, church terms, was this worship experience that was very intense and very free. It also looked a little bit like a rave, but it was intense and it was free. It was kind of like darker, but people were like in it and there was freedom to do whatever we wanted, right? There was just like, who cares? You know, we're gonna do what we wanna do. No, sorry. We're gonna do what we feel God is calling us to do, right? And uh, so it was immersive. It was this immersive, powerful worship experience that something in me got a taste of that vision and I couldn't let it go. I became kind of like a dog with a bone and I didn't realize what it was for. I thought after that, that it was like, I'm looking for another building, but I realized I'm not looking for another building. I'm looking for that. That's what I want. I want this immersive, powerful, free, like freedom, worship experience. And I love worship here. And I think that we are, hi kids. Kids are back. I think something went up on the screen. There it is. There the system's working. So um, I was like a dog with a bone. I really wanted this. And I, so I kept looking for more buildings. I kept looking for the space. And that was where 
it got painful. That's where I needed the Joshua prophecy over me because as I was looking at new spaces, they were overwhelmingly difficult to do. They were like really expensive buildings or they were, uh, and I felt like I was, and, and in that process, I had to give up everything. I had to give up all of our money because it was like, well, God's going to need everything that we have to do this. And so there were moments where I was like, I didn't actually have to give up any money, but in my spirit, I was like, Lord, you have it all. If this is where you're going, and I'd have like a week where I was just like, oh, you know, it's like, we're going after this. Is this where we're going? But they all ended up falling through. And those things weren't being spoken to me to search for that different space as I was looking. They weren't kind of popping in a spiritual sense, but I realized it's that vision that I couldn't let go of. I was looking for a place to have that vision. I was looking for that. And then, and this is sometimes what happens, when you get the vision and you share it just a little bit, I started to share it just a little bit with a very close circle, not even really with people in the church, all of a sudden, there are people who are like, well, you're, this is what you're looking for. Once you know what God's calling you for, sometimes it just comes. And I think that's what was born with that born building. It wasn't the building, it was the vision. It was what God was calling us to, that freedom in worship. And I don't know specifically exactly what that looks like, but there is something that God has for us on the other side of this. And I'm excited about that. So now I'm going to share the waiting's over. What was presented to me was Park Theater. If we could have the slide. So when I was thinking about like an intense, immersive worship experience, a little bit of this, this is an IHOP, like uh, one thing concert. And I had this on the slideshow just to show Christians do this. Christians have immersive worship experiences. And I like IHOP. IHOP's like, I like, I think they're great. Um, and very stable and steady and um, good in lots of different ways. And they have this. So I was like, Christians do it. Because Park is not Christian. Park Theater is not a Christian place. But I wanted to show a little bit of like what was in my head. And this would be like a Christian version of what was in my head. I think in my vision there were actually lasers, but I don't think that that's prophetic. I think that the lasers weren't actually part of what Maplecrest is called to. Maybe, I don't know, like, but I don't think so. This is a little bit closer to maybe like what's actually was in my head. Next slide. So I'm going to talk a little bit, I'm going to pause the story. I'm going to talk a little bit about practical stuff for, for a moment. This is where it is. So Holiday Inn South is on the bottom here and seven minutes away. It's, in Os it's on Osborne, but it's on the south side of Osborne, um, so south of Confusion Corner. So it's actually not that far away. It's still on this side of the river. And um, like I said, seven minutes northeast of us. Uh, so it's not that far away. Some of you may have experienced Park Theatre in the past. And if you've experienced it in the past, I would like to tell you that they've had a renovation. Um, so Park Theatre looked like this. I think I know the order of the slides. Park Theatre used to look like this. And in this form, they've actually, after talking with the people who own that building, they've actually had churches in Park Theatre in the past. And those churches have been successful. Um, but, and they were successful when it looked like this. Next slide. Now it looks like this. So it's been re renovated. And um, you know how on Google Maps, if you just like click one more step, sometimes it goes to like a picture from a different date. Anyway, that's how this happened. So it's like, this is what it looks like now. They have an electronic sign. You can, there's no things on it, but they show concerts on that black sign um, kind of rotating. 
Next slide. I think this is just a different angle of it, of South Osborne. Apparently, South Osborne's like an up-and-coming, cool, funky community. This is what I've heard. As you could probably know, I'm very cool and funky, so I know all about that. Uh, next slide. This is the inside. Again, it's been renovated. I don't want to be like the next Bethel, but they do have the Bethel Elk uh, up on the corner. If you're like a music label person, and that's like the logo for the Bethel music albums or um, sound production, whatever. So um, this is the inside. This is the lobby. This is what you walk into. It's actually looks, it, in reality, it's a little bit bigger than this, than what this gives the appearance of. Those two doors on the both sides of the bar lead into the, what would be the sanctuary. On the right side here, there would be some bathrooms. There's three bathrooms, a men and women's, and a, um, uh, a little bit of a bathroom for people who need extra assistance. And then on the left side, underneath the elk, there's, that can actually be a stage, if you wanted to do a stage there. Um, they have some speakers above it. I don't know exactly what you can do there, because I wasn't focused on it, but that is a stage. If you were to pan left, I didn't, uh, there would be a coat check desk, which could be used as a coffee. We're not allowed to use the bar. Um, so the bar's kind of off-limits for some reason. But the uh, coat check has a, a bit more of a rustic desk, which could be used for bringing our own coffee if we wanted. Next slide. I just took this because it shows how flexible they are. They're willing to let the lobby be used in lots of different ways, including paint night. So um, this would be maybe what it would look like, because this would be where the children would be. Um, and it could be used in various ways. Next slide. This is lights on, house lights on from the stage looking back. You can see the two doors, and now there's another bar, lots of bars in the middle here. And um, yeah, they have movable chairs. It's a newer floor than this. It's kind of like a dark floor. Um, so this is actually before the renovation, I believe. But the couches are still there. I don't know who will go on the couches, but I think that people will. Um, and I think people will like that, uh, especially in this church, I think. And then. Um, there's tables on the sides, which I think could potentially be used as a spirit room type atmosphere in here or in the lobby. In some ways, spirit room appointments would be a little bit more tricky to do practically, but I also think that Park Theater is an atmosphere that's very welcoming to people who would be interested in the spirit room appointments. So that would be something that would be a plus. Next slide. This is a little bit more lights on what it could look like. Um, we wouldn't have the tables in the middle, I don't think. Um, but maybe the tables to the side, I don't know, and then you could have your chairs. And during worship, I, I don't know exactly how we would do it, but the next few slides are kind of what it looks like here during a concert. This is a very popular theater. I asked them, could we do a rehearsal here? And they're like, no, you can't, because we're booked every night of the year. Every night, every is booked. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, and you can see the flooring here is the older flooring. Next slide. This is what it looks like without a band. Um, but with lots of equipment. It's probably self-explanatory. Do I need even to say that? Anyway, so this is what the stage looks like. Next slide. This is probably the closest picture to what I could find of what it might look like during a worship set. Um, but it's still like everybody, bunch of, I don't know, I don't think this is actually exactly what it would look like, but um, you only have so many options on Google Image. Next slide. This is another one, just another picture of what it can look like. Next slide. The other ones were blue, so I wanted to give you a red one to show that they can actually change the colors. And I like the cowboy hat. I think that would work for me, don't you think? I think that, uh, I don't know. So that's what really sold me on the whole thing. No, just kidding. So um, I'm just going to go through my list here of things that I need to say to kind of head off your questions. Um, we could get in for, this is all very practical, we could get in for May 3rd. 
Um, so that would be the first day. The stage is about five feet high. Um, the children would be in the lobby. We are allowed to bring in food, but not potluck. So it has to be commercially purchased or prepared food. So you could bring in like a Sobeys tray. You could buy, um, like, they would not charge us for any food that we brought in. So we could have meals as a church here. If we were to have a meal here, we would need like a wedding budget in order to be able to buy food here. It's like $4 a cookie. So uh, there we can just bring in food. Um, and uh, like, yeah, we could bring in Tim Hortons. The uh, cost of that place versus this one is about half. So it's about half the cost to go there. Um, the timeline, I said May 3rd, parking. Parking is not perfect there, but I've also learned that people don't like the poles here either. So I'm not sure, you know, the pluses and the minuses of the parking. It is street parking there. There's no parking lot. Now they have concerts with like 300 people who go there on a night and apparently they have something like 14,000 spots. There's, yeah, so there's like, there's apparently thousands of spots just within the, uh, just within the streets. There are, there are some places that you could go and park. I don't know totally if, if Safeway was happy with that, but even if you don't count the Safeway parking lot, there's like lots of parking that you just have to kind of find it, which is just like a parking lot. Um, you have to find it. And coffee. We can, I guess I kind of mentioned that, we can have coffee, we can bring in our own coffee for free, we can't do that here. Um, and uh, so we can get creative with coffee. Um, we have access to all of their sound equipment, all of their lighting equipment. We have sound technicians that we can either have there or not. They would be there to help us if something went wrong, uh, but they wouldn't be there all the time um, during the service because they need to be in the lobby as kind of a key holder insurance person being by the bar. But if something went wrong, they could be there to help us and they would help us set up. Okay, I think I hit all of my spots here. Okay, the, dis the capacity is roughly this, a little larger than this, I would think. I think it's about 300, but I don't think that that's a church 300. I think that's a concert 300. So, I mean, I don't know if we want to pack it in like that, but if we did, we could probably do that. Um, but for a church, I would think it's probably closer to 150 or something like that. Um, we have it from 8 until 1. Um, the big plus, the guy I have to deal with is nice. That's a huge plus. Thank you. Yes, right? You guys don't even know. <laughs> I was like, yes, he's nice and relaxed and flexible. Um, so anyway, that was a big deal. I'm going to call Jason to the front, please. I'm skipping now from the practical back into the still spiritual, because the practical is spiritual, right? The practical, is, I'm not going to be Greek, thank you. The practical is spiritual, but we're going to skip into what traditionally would be called the spiritual. And Jason, I told Jason and Paige about this, our friendly staff, uh, who uh, worked the sound and other things, lots of other things to set up for this. Um, and when I told them, Jason had something to say to me, which I wanted you guys to hear. And rather than me try to describe it, I thought he keeps a book and actually writes it down so he could just read it. Uh, okay. oh. Yeah, too much. Okay. Um, so when Cyrus told us, um, okay, I'll start with this. I am not a dreamer. I'm someone who rarely remembers my dreams. But about three weeks before Cyrus told us, I had two dreams uh, back to back um, that were clearly prophetic. I woke up manifesting, remembering everything. 
Um, and so the first one was more just to kind of get my radar up. And then the second one was, uh, okay, I'll just read it. I was doing sound at Maplecrest, except it was in a bar. Uh, to me, it looked like the stage at Winnipeg Center Vineyard when Sanctuary House of Prayer used to do our Encounter God services there on Sunday nights. So it's the room is very dimly lit. The stage is light is lit up, and it's all about encounter. Um, but it was definitely supposed to be a bar. Uh, then someone who, based on their position and who they were, I believe, is supposed to represent God the Father. Um, brought in an old garden hose that was multiple hoses connected together and was all patched up. I remember possibly thinking combination of old wineskins and new. Um, he connected it to the faucet and told me to wait to turn it on, but I couldn't wait, uh, and turned it on full. <laughs> Water started spraying out uh, of every patch and connection. I got soaked, and the sound of the water was so loud that Cyrus... Uh, it was too loud for Cyrus to preach, uh, so I lowered the water pressure till it was quieter and uh, not overpowering. Sure. Um, and then there was a, the next part. Um, it's a little bit more confusing because it's, uh, you know, it was more, it was kind of a personal and it was uh, people I know, but it was uh, Paige and another friend of ours who is a singer at SHOP. Um, they were kind of switching the stage around to start singing, uh, but there weren't enough microphones, so they had to use um, a preaching mic uh, as well. And so I just, for that part, it was kind of a feeling like there's going to be a transition from where, it's interesting that it's on this weekend, uh, but where women in the church will go from just being singers and worshipers to having more of a leading and a speaking and a preaching role. So. So when we told Jason and he told that to me, I was like, it was kind of felt like when we had that dream that Natasha had, and then we had that moment where it was like, oh, because for this whole time about going towards this building, it has felt like whispers, it's felt like following God's prompting. But then when he told me that dream, it was like, God knew about this in his heart. When I was still struggling with the Bourne building, when I was still pregnant in my dreams, um, God had this idea already of us doing church in a bar. Uh, when we started Maplecrest, the first service in our house, Keith Miners was here again, he's a spiritual father, and he was here and he did the first service. Um, and I think it's interesting because when I emailed Keith, he was supportive of us uh, and this idea, and he told us, in, uh, and then he said, hey, do you remember I'm visiting on that day? So he will actually be here on the first day that we would be in Park Theater to give the first talk, just like he did for the first talk we ever had. Um, I feel like I want to say a couple things. I feel like this is, um, going into a new building is important and means a lot of things. I think it's a step of, of mission. I think that you can worship in any place and I think you can worship in a lot of different ways. Um, and I feel like changing the worship style, changing the building is not about changing 
the spirit or thinking that what we're doing now is wrong or worse or anything like that. But you change yourself when you are going on mission. I'm a missionary and I know about that. You have to learn a new language. And God changes himself to reach people. He became a person in order to reach us. And we translate the Bible into heart languages of other languages. Even though they could read it in potentially some colonial language, they change the language of the Bible to the heart language so that people can do that. They can connect with God in their natural way. And I feel like God is taking Maplecrest and it's putting it on a hill for a certain people. It's taking Maplecrest and taking it out of the cave to a degree and putting it on a hill, which means not that it's bad what we're doing or better what we're doing over there, it just means that God has a call for us. It just means that God has a call for us. And I feel like there's also a spiritual shift that's going to happen as we change, as we move. It's a practical shift from one building to another, but it's also an opportunity to have a spiritual shift, partly maybe because we're going into a new building, but mainly because God does things to prepare you for his mission. And so as we go into a new place, there's going to be a spiritual shift. And if you were here last Sunday, you know that there's already spiritual things that God is doing in Maplecrest. And there's a spiritual reality that he's going to change. And you may think that, oh, you're going to have lights and you're going to have a dark room. And I don't know what that does to you. There may be things that conjures where it's like, oh, I mean, there's been concerns like, Cyrus, are you creating a seeker-friendly church? I like seekers. Okay, so I'm not against seeker-friendly, at least in the name, but I don't think I can be inoffensive, even if I tried. I'm just naturally offensive. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Um, but I, and when I thought about it, I don't want to be seeker-friendly in the, in the way that people think of that in a negative way, where it's kind of watered down or, or not really about what God is doing. Um, I, want, I don't want to be seeker-sensitive, but I do want to be spirit-sensitive. And we don't have to lose that going to a place where we're on, uh, to a new place. And I have to say, I don't know everything or why, just in, this, in the same way that when we started church, I did not know everything that God was doing, but I, and I don't know everything that God is going to do in this space. But I do know that just like Jason's dream, there are new wineskins, new spiritual realities that will come, and new challenges that will come with that. Now, we're a little ways away, and I had, we had contemplated potentially not telling the church until we were closer. Because now we're here and we're not here, which is a little awkward, right? We're here until May 3rd. It can be awkward for people to be in a place where we're not really anymore. And I was like, oh, you know, should we not do that so that it, people don't have to wait too long and, and all that? But then what I thought was, there are a lot, just because everybody here isn't in the facilitators meeting doesn't mean that everybody here, there's a lot of people who are very invested in this community and really could be on the facilitators meeting in the facilitators meeting. And so I wanted to do this early so that we could hear and discern as a church together as well. Now I have to say that with the facilitators, we have processed it as a facilitators group. We have discerned it as leaders. So I do feel at this point, like this is where we're going. And I have taken steps in that direction, like serious steps. We've created agreements and things like that. But I also want you to know that I, and I'm, that I am here to follow the spirit and each one of you has access to the spirit. So I am open to hearing more. And I am so committed to following the Spirit that I would destroy every agreement that I made and pay any kind of penalty I have to pay in order to do what the Spirit's doing. And I wanted to tell the church because I want to have everybody as much as possible feeling part of this, 
feeling respected, having time to process it, and giving the opportunity to hear from anybody who's he he hearing from the Spirit about this. Um, we've tried to do it well, we're, and we probably have to apologize at the end, because you almost always do with something this complicated. Um, but I really want to keep everybody, we're, the church is not a building, it's people. And so this is about you going on a mission, and we have to pray about that. Um, but I also think it's an opportunity. I think it's, a, I think it's a huge opportunity for God to take us into something new. And I'm really excited about it. And I hope you are too. How are we doing with time? We don't have a ton of time. Uh, if we need another family meeting, we can always have another family meeting. But I will open it up for a couple of minutes of questions if you guys have questions. Go ahead. I like questions. Don't need them, but I like them. Yes? Ah, utter relieved what we're not buying a building. <laughs> buying a building has a lot of pros and it has a lot of cons. I've never seen a church not lose their... Mm-hmm, their mojo. Their mojo. Yeah. Yes. So, and then have to, like, quiet on building again. Yeah. I love the... The green rooms. I like. The, there's a bathroom back there too, which I really enjoy. I haven't used it, but I will. <laughs> yes, there could be a place for pre-service prayer as well. We people here have now, in the facilitators group, have started talking. I think in the facilitators and out. I'm not sure. Have started talking about plays. It's a little awkward to do a play here because you know, like you can't see me anymore. But you could do a play there. It's kind of fun. I think I saw another hand here. Natasha, was that you? No. Is there something? Okay. Yes? There's no lease. He's a very relaxed person, which is dangerous and also relieving. So I think it'd be about four weeks that we'd have to pay to get out of it. And it's about half the price of this, so not too much. Yeah. yeah I think you had a question. Yes, related to that, so do we? I know who he is. Ah, good. I hope. I've been to the venue. Yes. You've been there. You know him. Yes, that I'm making it sound? Yeah, so just be aware of that. Mm. But, um, so we don't have a lease, what do we have? We have God. Uh, we don't have a lease, but we do have God. And one of the nice things about this transition is we're actually not giving anything up. Um, I'm sure the Holiday Inn, for their part, would love to have us back. So if things go badly and we don't like it, I do think it would be quite awkward to come back, but we could. They just want four weeks. And so they're kind of like, just give us four weeks notice and we'll give you four weeks notice and that'll be good. He's had churches in there in the past. He, oh, one small thing, he did say that approximately every year, maybe every two years, there is a band that will come from Europe and there's a chance that we might have five weeks notice where we can't have a service. But he wants to minimize that and uh, it's about the same as it is in the hotel. We get kicked out out here every once in a while too. So, um, uh, but he's made us aware. He's tried to be very upfront with us, which is really good. Um, at least it seems that way so far. I'm not sure if I answered every one of your questions. Is that? Uh, oh, you're a lawyer. Yes, I love lawyers. 
when they're on my side. Go ahead. <laughs> We have our own insurance. That's a good question. I believe so. There's not much difference between being here and being there, but I will check into that. That's a good question. We should talk. We should really talk. If you, I, if don't, I don't want to stop you, but some of these are pretty specific. So feel free, like just bang them off to me because lawyers are so good for churches, and uh, we don't have a. A, a lawyer who's kind of giving us advice. I'm my own lawyer sometimes, but maybe we do now. So, yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. All of those are really important. We are still kind of very similar in that we're like a traveling church in a in a rented venue, but um, I think we would have to make sure that all of that's in order. Mm-hmm. That's great. Any other questions? Yes. One more question. Yes. So going up into that area, yeah. uh, the sanctuary area. Oh, it's not really up, but yes, going into the sanctuary from the back, is that what you're saying? So you go in through those two Those two doors, doors yes. It's just level. Is it wheelchair? Yes. Yes, it is. There's a little bit of a slant to the floor because it used to be a slanted, seated place, but it's very slight. And it is wheelchair accessible. There's a wheelchair bathroom. The front door to the sidewalk is flat. The door the, the going into the sanctuary is flat and quite wide. Um, yes? I was just going to say, this is a space. Yes, it is wheelchair accessible, as, as far as I know. And not wheelchair awkward accessible, like, like nobody needs to lift somebody accessible, which is nice. I don't think, oh, it might be. I think you're right. I think I took the stairs, but I believe that there is a ramp on the right side. Yeah. They might need a push, because I think it's a little bit steeper, but it is accessible. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are great. I don't even have any of these on my list. I did not expect that, but that's good. How about let's pray. We're at the end of our time for today. We can have more meetings. We can have more questions. If you guys have concerns, I do want to hear about them. So you might feel like, ooh, I've got a check in my spirit or something like that. I, uh, I'm not afraid of that, so uh, feel free to tell me uh, and if it's more comfortable to do that by email or anything like that. We are a church and we're doing this together. And um, yeah, Lord, Father, this is about a building. Lord, you are about land. You said, Israel, be here. You are about land. You are about where we are, where our feet are, what we're doing, what it looks like. You're about buildings. You built a building for yourself on the earth. You will create a city in the end that will be amazing. You are about the physical reality, so I don't want to say in any way that you're not. And I also believe that you are about uh, a touch in our spirit, and that can happen anywhere. So even though this is important and big, it's also not. And I pray that you would help each of us that to feel your presence related to this and to know what you're saying. Speak to each person here about this as we process it as a, as a community. We love you, Father. This is all about you. This isn't about us. This isn't about more people or about seeker-friendly. This is about your mission for Maple Crest as you, as you help us to find our place. And we also know that this isn't a forever thing necessarily. You find us, you take us on a journey, and right now we're in a tent. 
and you can move tents. So Lord, just help us to have faith in you and to hear you accurately and give us peace. Amen. Thank you guys. I hope you're blessed. Thank you for coming and listening to me talk about this. Please pray for us. Please pray for this. It's a big deal in some ways, and we need your support. Okay, be blessed. <laughs>